Welcome, everyone, to Tabletop Journeys, special edition of Star Trek Preservations. Over the last couple weeks and the next couple weeks, we'll be meeting with each of the cast members themselves. Tonight, I have for you a very special episode, Tabletop Journeys' very own Glenn Myers. And hey, how you doing, Glenn? I am fantastic. Happy to be here, sitting down with you during our winter break for a quick uh, recording session on Lieutenant Camdrul Najjar. Should be a good time. Yeah, so for those who aren't in the know or you're just getting to know Tabletop Journeys, if you've only recently joined us because we have had a real good, a really cool and awesome uptick in people listening to us in the last couple of months. Looking forward to seeing that grow even more. When you have a good show, uh, I'm going to tell you every time, share and share alike. Put that out there. Let other people know you like what you're hearing and uh, hashtag call your boys TTJ. But for those who don't know, we tend to take a break right at the end of November and through December. We get a lot of content recorded, put in a lot of hard work and hours ahead of that time so that we have fresh content all throughout December. We're actually extending that a little bit into January, especially as it pertains to the actual play. And the main reason for that is we want to have great content for you. So one of the things we don't want to replay all that often, though occasionally we do. So what we're going to do in this case is give you a brand new, fresh interview with each of the cast members. So here we are with Glenn, and I'm going to jump right into it. Yes. So Glenn, I'm going to start with some player questions. And I know over the last two and a half, three years, you've told a lot of these stories on other people's shows and pieces and parts of it in our show and all that. But I'm going to hit you right off the top and just say, Introduce yourself to those Star Trek preservation audience members, the folks who just came to Tabletop Journeys because of Star Trek, whether it's from the various Facebook pages or various posts we do on social media. And they're like, I really like this actual play. So they may not listen to all of our content or have seen all of your appearances, and there are a plenty. So tell us about yourself. I'm Glenn Myers. One of the three co-hosts of Tabletop Journeys. If you do, if you are one of our regular audience members who's been listening all along, I've been here for all since almost the beginning. There's like a few episodes that came out before I joined the cast, but I've been here and through all of our growth and adventures, I am also one of these cast members of Star Trek Preservations, the Star Trek Adventures actual play that we run every month. Hugely successful, fantastic game. Love it. Excellent. Again, one of these questions that anybody who's been listening for all of the three years, and I do apologize for uh, those of you who hear it, but let's see if we can throw them at maybe a little tidbit that they may not have heard. Tell us about your TTRPG experiences. Like, how did you get into it? Tell us your tabletop gaming story. And if you can, throw us one little tidbit story anecdote that maybe you haven't given on the show before. I'll try, but I make no promises. (laughs) My history in tabletop gaming. I call myself a second-generation role player uh, because my first GM was my dad. He came home from Westpac. He was in the Navy. We were living in California. He came home from Westpac and had played on the boat during those long nights when there's not a whole lot to do. You're off duty. Yeah, but where do you go? Because the sub's underwater. Uh, But at any rate, he started playing with some Navy buds out at sea. And brought it home to us. But he picked up the very first original red box basic D&D set. And that's where I started. With the little bitty uh, baby blue dice that you had to color all of the numbers in with a white crayon so you could read them. The white crayon came in the box too, though. That was legit. 
and my very first character ever's name was Silverleaf the Elf. Now, in the basic set back then, there wasn't a race in a class. It was just you were an elf or a dwarf or a fighter or a human or and it changed. Your class didn't change as much. The elf was its own thing. Shortly after that, once I got a little bit older, because at that point I'm like eight. By the time I was eleven or so and met Liwanika and Boy Scouts. Long ago, yeah, we've known each other forever. That's when I first started getting into advanced Dungeons and Dragons with actual people to play with. I'd inherited my dad's books when we moved from California, but until I joined Scouts and met Liwanika and Marty and some of our other friends, I didn't have anybody to play with anymore once we moved. And that's when I got into advanced Dungeons and Dragons and that progressed and all the way up through 3.5. Some of my favorite early D&D memories are on Boy Scout campouts, like sitting underneath the overhang that's almost a cave at Cochigan Rock in Connecticut, where you can't even go anymore because they gave that land back to the tribe and they made it no trespassing. But hey, back then you could, and it was fantastic. And we played so many nights chilling underneath that rock in Cochigan Rock. Through my teen years, I moved on into other games and branched out into some Recon by Palladium, which is based off of Vietnam era, literally being a squad walking through the jungle and branched into Rifts, got into some group superheroes, played some all kinds of things, and then met Josh, our other co-host, oh, about 20 years ago, somewhere in my mid-20s with LARPing and Vampire the Masquerade. Took a break when I had kids and didn't have time or folks to play with, and then came back to it going on a decade ago now. No, I started coming back to it earlier than that when you started running that D&D game at your house. Yep. D&D yeah. and Star Trek. I ran those two games, as a matter of fact. So I am 51 years old. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that out loud. Been playing since I was eight. So that's 43 years of our fabled combined over 100 years of role-playing experience. Talking about the gaming and playing, let's talk about the history of your games. Primarily throughout your time, enlighten the audience. Have you primarily been a GM or a player for most of that time? Has it been 50-50? Has it changed over, over the years? Fill us in. That's changed a lot over the years, up and down and all around. I've had the pleasure as, of being a player a lot instead of being relegated to the forever GM seat, predominantly because I was friends with other people who ran games. Uh, Lee Winika ran games. Our friend Marty ran games. Um, so they often were the storyteller running D&D or Paranoia or whatever else we happened to be playing at the time. Marty was a fantastic storyteller for Paranoia. And then I also ran games periodically at that point, bringing in my dad. I had a couple of old standby jokey characters like Sir Harold Armas, the giant full plate fighter who would get a who would wind up being an NPC in the party who had no ability to sneak just to mess with folks. And they'd all be trying to sneak down and he'd be going clank, 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 clank. It was great fun. My dad even tried to put him to sleep once before an ambush, but fortunately he made a save. Or, or unfortunately, I guess, for the party. So I spent plenty of time both in the player and the storyteller's seats. I did spend a few years predominantly storytelling, especially when I started storytelling for my kids and first starting to bring groups back together, like when I ran my Rifts game with you and Todd and Wolfgang and everybody. But that was right after I had the chance to be a player at your table for that D&D game you ran when you were in Montville. So again, back and forth. And now 
I'm going to say I probably run more than I play, but part of that is because of my choice of profession at this point. Being part of Tabletop Journeys, whether it's running games for our Patreons, running games at conventions, or running games with my family and friends to learn new systems like Monster of the Week and Savage Worlds, although I haven't actually run Savage Worlds yet. Again, I get to be a player in that one because thanks, Marty. As I'm learning new systems for tabletop journeys so that we can present them to our fans and hopefully run them in actual plays with our Patreons and maybe even put up another cast actual play of another game. After another, after a couple of seasons of Star Trek, we may do something else. Who knows? But I wind up in the driver's seat more often than the the player princess seat. See what I did there with passenger princess? Yeah. Which is no disparagement towards being a player because without your players, any great storyteller knows, without your players, your story can go nowhere. Um, <laughs> yep. I got to say, I am privileged to be able to sit on both sides of the table. Our history of, of gaming, specifically with the group that we cultivated through Boy Scouts during high school and post-high school semi-college, because I don't know how many of us were actually going to college through most of that time frame, but those early college years, our 20s, th- that group was really good. We had three exceptionally solid, strong, fairly consistently running medium, if not long-term campaigns in yourself, Marty, and myself. And we had a number of players who were remarkably competent at running either short story arcs or palette cleanser one-shots and episodes in Dustin, who ran that fantastic short campaign. Fists of Toril. Whenever I think think of Waterdeep, I just want that game. I I still, to this day, I talk with Dustin fairly frequently. Whenever I think of that game. I remember what we dubbed the Hendelken, which was yes. his beholder that could use every eye in the same round. Yep. And it's wrecking us while chewing on Marty because Marty, it, it just ate him and his legs are sticking yep. out of his mouth. But Marty's stabbing him from the inside. Yeah, oh, that was a good man. fight. Yeah, that was, that was epic. I actually remind Dustin about that at least every six months. Oh, and it's it, so fun. And Guardians of the Galaxy 2, when right in the beginning they're fighting that big nasty monster and Drax is like, its skin is too tough to penetrate. I must cut it from the inside and dives into its mouth. That makes me think of Marty and the Beholder 2 every time. Every time. Every time. Yeah, but we were blessed with having the ability to, as much as we were running, also playing, which was really fantastic for our growth and why we have such an appreciation of both sides of that experience. We factor that heavily into the way we write our content and the way we run our games when we run games. A lot of our games are running. I know this as being a player at your table and being the storyteller for you is how do I use what the player's given me? How do I give the player something that they can use is a give and take that you really have to get that opportunity on both sides frequently to really cultivate to that level. And as a player, there's nothing wrong with asking yourself, how can I help tee the situation up for the DM to help carry the drama of the scene? Absolutely. Staying on that uh, player question note, talk to us about Star Trek in specific. How did you first get into Star Trek? So Star Trek as an IP or Star Trek as role playing? Now you're just speaking of the future. So question one is Star Trek as an IP. Question right. two, same question. We'll talk about the, the TTRPG. For the IP, I'm old. I was born in the 70s, a little bit past first-generation Star Trek. 
that was reruns for me by the time I was old enough to truly get into it. But I was watching reruns, original series, Star Trek on, I don't remember what channel it was back then, but it was the same one you could still catch Battlestar Galactica on and some of the other reruns from the late 70s, early 80s. And I really liked Spock. I liked Kirk. But then the movies came out and that just made what I saw on my aunt Francis's little color television and the den while we were there for the summers come to life on the big screen and watching the movies that was huge for me as I was growing up. The wrath of Khan being my absolute favorite star Trek film ever. But then when next generation hit when I'm in junior high, a whole new series. I've been a follower ever since. I struggled with Deep Space Nine, though I'm now about three quarters of, not three quarters of the way, halfway through rewatching Deep Space Nine. I had to get to the Dominion War. Everybody kept telling me before it was really going to take off. But I'm still catching that back up while continuing with the, the current stuff that's out. So yeah, Star Trek fan forever. Also Star Wars. I am both. I know some people say you can't be both, but I am. But my favorite Star Trek show, IP-wise, Voyager. And that was not the case when it first started, because Voyager liked Deep Space Nine. You need to get through that first season or two for it to really start finding some traction. And that's when it picked up. And then by the time it got to the end, Voyager culminated into what I still consider the best conclusion for a Star Trek series that I've ever seen. The confrontation and conflict with the Borg and the way that Janeway from the future came back to the past, and then they skipped and broke time to come back through the Borg. Mm. Quantum uh, slipstream. Thank you. Slipstream's wormhole network was just fantastic. And uh, the two Janeways together and her interactions with the Borg queen, that was some seriously good television. I will say Strange New Worlds is rapidly overtaking it, as it is for a lot of people because Strange New World is awesome, and I'm not even fully current on that show yet, but I'm close. But yeah, there you go. Star Trek the IP. Favorite captain, also Janeway, but it's rapidly becoming Pike from Strange New World. That's a conversation I have, Frico, with a lot of friends who like Star Trek but are now getting rewatches in on series that they've missed and getting caught up on Strange New Worlds because I am a herald of that show. And But that seems to be the case. Whatever your favorite captain was – Almost everybody I know is definitely saying Pike is coming really close to number two. I imagine if we actually put up a list your favorite captains one through three mm-hmm. and everybody listed that, Pike would be the number one captain simply because he's probably number two on everybody's list. If you ranked it out, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a poll we should do. I think that would be actually cool to put up. Hey, we should put that out on the show. Fun. Absolutely. I think that would be a lot of fun to, to do that, and then we could do little bits on it or whatever. We can bring in stats from the various Odiphius things. I think that could mm-hmm. be a lot of fun. But I will definitely say this about, about the IP. Having been right with you as we were watching some of those shows and certainly some of those movies, we all – our whole group, and certainly you and I, had that same wide-eyed, wow. Even though, though different of us had different favorite characters, for me, for out of the original cast, Chekhov was always my favorite. Less from the original series, but more from the movies. I don't know why. I just 
I like the fact that he was mobile and with all due apologies to Garrett Wang and Ensign Kim, seeing Pavel Chekhov advance through the years and go through and rise up through the ranks to the fact that he became an admiral and all of that. And his, and even his in-universe son, Anton, became Federation president at some point. I think that is really awesome. I just loved that upward mobility and certainly Pavel's depictions in all of the novels. I always, always loved that character. As far as the RPG, uh, tell us about your your experiences with that, how you've gotten into it, and your role-playing with Star Trek and how that has come along over the years. Star Trek was probably an underutilized role-playing genre or system based on the different systems that came out. For me, until until Star Trek Adventures now, the only Star Trek role-playing game I've played prior to this was the one that you ran when you were living in Montville. I do not remember the system, but you're going to correct me. You're going to tell us in a second. And I played a Vulcan, who I very much enjoyed playing, but I do not remember his name. So somewhere on some computer I have in my current house, and certainly on paper that's in a file somewhere in my current RPG closet, I do have that information. But that particular system was Last Unicorn Games. One of the key contributors to that was actually Matt Coville, I found out years after the fact. Uh, so he worked on that system. He actually has talked on his uh, YouTube channel once or twice about some game design things that he learned when he worked at that company doing things for that system. I very much enjoyed it when we were playing it. We ran a short campaign with you and it was a great time. It felt like Star Trek or you made it feel like Star Trek and the system didn't wow me, but it wasn't bad by any means. It, it was, it, we, we had fun. It was a decent, uh, decent Star Trek experience. I think uh, Star Trek adventures, the current one we're playing captures a little bit, captures that cinematic feel a little bit more a lot bit more but it, it was a good time back then and now with star trek adventures i'm part of a set cast actual play with tabletop journeys where you can tune in and listen to us weekly the cool thing about last unicorn games was they put a lot of effort into the lore the backgrounds and the options their character building was exceptionally robust the mechanics were odd, and I've said it before, and I'll continue to say it. The interesting thing about Star Trek Last Unicorn Games, it was a, the best system to that point for Star Trek. It was far better than FASA, but it was a lot like playing D&D in a Star Trek universe, which is a different genre than Star Trek should be. And that's the one thing that the system couldn't grasp because it was effectively, even though it wasn't necessarily a D20 game or a 3.5 style game, or it wasn't any of those things specifically. It was just very hard to get some of the feel of a Star Trek show because it wasn't designed to mirror a Star Trek show. Whereas Star Trek Adventures is designed to create a weekly television show. From there, let's jump right into the preservations. I think that's obviously I designed the question. So the fact that it segues nicely, I'm going to pat myself on the back for. But uh, since we've talked about the different systems and the history of Star Trek role playing that you've been in, get right into your current character. Tell us all about him. Sure. In Star Trek Adventures, I play a half human, half Betazoid. Uh, Camdrill Najar. He is a lieutenant. He started as a lieutenant junior grade, one of the younger members on the in the command crew for the ship, for the Dilamas Christian. He has since earned a promotion, which he's very proud of. Najar is a security officer, but not exactly 
any of the tropes that we've seen in Star Trek before, and that was my goal. He's a little bit like Odo, who's the most cop-like security officer of the, of Star Trek that I've seen so far, but a little bit less street cop and a little bit more special investigator. I really focused in on in his backstory for how he became this way. He grew up in a frontier colony predominantly populated with humans. He was raised by his human father. His mother, who was the Betazoid, died before he had any memory of her. That did give him a little bit of an advantage slash disadvantage, I suppose you could say, in the ways that he learned to use his powers as a Betazoid. Because as an adult and as he got older, he learned a lot about the moral obligations of his power and because he's an empath, not a full tel telepath, but that psychic ability and learning not to invade other people as much as possible, or at least not specifically try to dive or delve, that took him a little bit to learn. He wasn't raised with it. His dad talked about it a little bit because he knew, but he wasn't raised fully Betazoid, so he didn't have that drilled into him from an early age, which makes him a little bit fast and loose with his power, only in that it became second nature for him to automatically influence and inform his responses to the people that he made, his reactions to the people that he made based on their emotional state and how they responded to him. It was just like any of his other senses. It automatically fed into how he interacted with and interpreted other people's behaviors. Because he had that little bit of a leg up, early on, he became really fascinated with people in general. So growing up on the frontier colony, he wound up already working in security a little bit because he wasn't that big. He's fit, but he's not that big for working fields, etc. But he wound up working security and helping with emergency medicine and medicine on the frontier colony. And then when he made it to Starfleet, because he definitely did not want to stay on the small little frontier planet. He was fascinated by basically what makes people tick. And he wanted to meet as many people as possible. He fantasized about making it out among the stars and seeing space stations full of different races and just learning about what made people act the way that they act and behave the way that they behave. So when he made it to Starfleet Academy, he focused in on the criminal psychology behavior analysis aspect of the medicine side first. And that's, he, he actually has a four out of five in medicine, which is not his primary discipline. You'd think that more for a medical officer. He has a five in security, four in medicine because of that criminal psychology aspect. And he went to school almost enough to be a full doctor, but that also covered anatomy and basic for, and first aid and emergency medicine as well. But as he learned more in forensic investigations and interrogations, all the way through, his empathic ability continued to feed his learning and make him a better investigator, make him a better interrogator, make him a better security officer, just not necessarily from the perspective of standing at the tactical control board and defending the ship or standing post with a phaser rifle and defending a hallway, though he has those skills as well. Honestly, my favorite episode so far was the very first one he was introduced in when we first arrived at Aslan Station, pre before the Dalamus Christian even did, and we were at that 
scientific symposium that they were hosting. And we had this investigation to conduct to figure out how someone was to investigate an accident. And then another suspicious accident that looked like murder. And it was super all like one place talking to the people, putting together the clues and trying to figure it out. That was honestly the perfect episode for Najar to be introduced into because it let his skill set just totally shine. And it was amazing. Moving forward, now he is as chief of security for the Dalamas Christian, which came with his promotion and has an entire crew beneath him. He's feeling a little nervous about all that responsibility and knowing that the entire ship and the safety of everyone on it is his responsibility. And uh, that definitely informs his behavior in that last episode at the end of season one, where the, no spoilers will really be thrown out here, but the sort of Klingons that were trying to get aboard our ship pulled a double cross and beamed over extra folks. That's why the episode ended in a flash of phaser fire. He was not prepared to deal with anything beyond the exact promised arrangements. And he was a little trigger happy. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how he progresses moving forward. But now he's a very capable investigator, but a very green chief of security. Excellent. You jumped into what would have been my third question here in this section of the of the discussion. What was your What's your favorite element of your character? I think you answered that with talking about that first episode where Najar joins the crew. And I think about all the individual moments within that episode. That was not even an episode I ran. So I actually got to watch that slash listen to it as a viewer and was just enraptured with the one complexity of the mystery that Josh strung together for that episode, but also the way in which each of the characters interacted with that and tried to pull out those clues using the skill set, the strengths of each character involved, and one, addressing some of the situations that came up, two, uh, bringing out those clues, and three, most importantly, expressing who their characters were. That was very early on in the season. So it was a great, in theory, bottle episode. It wasn't quite a bottle episode, but it was very close to that in that it was a single location kind of thing or sim small location kind of thing. But it was really about, it really gave a great episode where nearly every character, I would say actually every player character who was in that episode really got a chance to express who their character was. And having been present as each character was built, so I got to know the characters through the build process and the desires of what the players wanted to build. And then seeing it expressed in that episode, which I was not directly responsible for, was awesome because I literally saw the characters that were promised a month and a half to two months earlier shine in that one episode. That early episode was one of my favorites. Everybody, p bits of their character that are still traits that you can see in the show today came out in that episode. Tanari's conspiracy theory paranoia came out in that show. Um, the way that Tobor <clears throat> handles the crew and speaks to everybody, that came out. Uh, the way Lieutenant Commander Ocean approaches problems and uh, uses their network of information, all of the characters in that episode. So yeah, if you know you haven't watched the show yet, 
That's yeah. a great place to start, obviously, episode one. Come on, why wouldn't it be? It, the pilot's also a good spot, especially given episode 10 and the finale. Uh, however, uh, that first episode that followed the pilot was really brilliant as far as uh, character work and folks really doing their thing. Uh, I really enjoyed that. More mechanically about Najar, what would be your favorite element of the character that you've utilized so far? I know I talked about it a little bit already, but I'm going to have to go with his empathic ability and how it plays into his interactions, his analysis of threats, heck, just general communications on the view screen with a new person that's potentially a threat. It's even become almost second nature or standard procedure for Captain Tobor to turn to Najar after we first meet someone and ask for my initial read on them, because that's something that he automatically does. He tries to get a baseline feel for people when he meets them and in those initial conversations so that he has something to compare to later as questions arise or tensions rise or conflict begins or to see if they're trying to hide something or when he throws out that zinger to see how much they change. Their emotion level changes when he's looking for that reaction to see if their anger spikes, but they try to stay calm or etc. That's become a huge piece of who he is and what he brings to the table for the crew. I really dig the fact that one of the pitfalls that I think TNG fell into during the early seasons is really not knowing what to do with Deanna Troy. And she was really relegated to, I feel pain. With all respect to Marina Sirtis, I, I love her acting. Oh, the actress uh, did a great job. She can only work with what they wrote. The writers really struggled with what to do with that. That's really the beauty of a role-playing game is the writers, Josh, myself, we don't have to do that. The the actor does, the player does. So in that regard, kudos to you for simply not falling into, they feel pain. You actually said, if I'm an empath, here are the things that I would be able to pick up on. How does that feed into the role I've chosen and assigned for myself? And how would that work within that? I'm going to do all the same things that any cop, any investigator would do. I always think when I think of investigators and cops doing things in a slightly unorthodox method, I'm old school. I always go back to Columbo, right? He would just notice these little things. You just happen to have an ability that allows you to confirm those little things. And so it really falls very naturally the way your character has really been able to do that. And, and I think that's a real send up to taking what has been in the within the IP and finding a way to make that more, quote unquote, real, if that phrase can or should be applied here. And to just further a little bit of defense for Deanna Troy, she was also raised on Beta Z with as a as an empath from birth amongst people who taught her not to violate other people's minds, emotions, etc. So from the perspective of how they wrote her, unless it was a situation where she was supposed to she was trained not to comment on, mention, or share what she was sensing or feeling from other people. Fair enough. I'm going to wrap up the question and answer part of this with this. With 
a year or nearly a year in real time since we've been talking about planning and working with these characters with 10 episodes of coolness under our belts and seeing how the story has developed over the, the year, knowing what based on the episode close and we're about to go in writing is being done furiously on season two. What are, what is the element of your character that you most look forward to using in season two? What's the thing that you want to take? Where do you want to take the jar uh, that's already on your character sheet, so to speak, or already in the, the cards for you, so to speak? Uh, what are you looking to do with the jar in season two? So it's that green chief of security that I'm really interested in seeing how uh, Najar handles the pressure and the things that happen and whether or not he succeeds and fails in protecting the crew and the ship um, that I'm really looking forward to seeing how it develops and helping Najar develop. Uh, he's been chief of security for a little bit now, but right now in the season finale and then the open season opener that we're going to be recording here shortly, it's the first threat test that he's faced as chief of security. And he spent the voyage from Aslan Station to the Shoals of Tethys, where Damon Brazig is, he was under siege, now he's a captive. Spoiler alert if you haven't watched the season finale yet, but that's as much as I'll give you there. But he spent that entire voyage, like working with his crew, running drills for repelling borders, because we knew we were going into a hostile situation, going over where security force fields should be in place, how they should be deployed to funnel uh, borders or enemies into specific pockets that are to make the ship more defensible. Like the whole time that was part of what I built into what he was doing. And as that early part of the episode before we got there went after we first helped, we first finished helping get Aslan station up to code with all the things we were, we were helping them with got the distress call from that moment on Najar was focused on, okay, how do I defend the ship? And he was almost obsessive with how much he was going over it and doing it again and again and drilling his team before we arrived to the point that there's something i don't remember exactly what it was that i stated was going to be security protocol najar one officially by the time it was all said and done just amping him up for the fact that hey this is my first real test and i don't know how he's going to do yet because it's only just started i know that the enemies we were facing pulled a fast one and sent over more troops than they were supposed to be allowed on the ship, which says, hey, they're trying to board it, which is exactly what he said. He even confronted Commander Tobor during the initial conversation with these guys, asked him for a minute, had him stop in the middle of the conversation and questioned him. He's like, are you sure letting them on board is a good idea? Because they're going to try something. And he was overruled, and he went down there. He went down to the transporter room going, something's going to happen, something's going to happen. It's going to happen. And sure enough, he was right. The next thing you know, extra Klingons are transporting over, and he's like, oh, I'm not messing with this. I know I'm set to stun. I'm not going to hurt anybody. And as soon as it happened, I'm like, I pull the trigger, and that's where we ended. I'm waiting with bated breath to see how Najar's defense of the ship for the first time goes. And then look, and I look forward to deciding how his successes and failures in this upcoming conflict will affect him and shape him for the future. I think it's going to be fun. Excellent. So I, I'm going to leave that there for those listening to the, to this, because this is going to air bef after 
after the final episode of season one and before the episode of season two, we will probably leave in most of that. I don't want to give too many spoilers for folks who are new and joining us, but depending on when this airs, pieces of this may be... I don't be... think I gave away anything too big. Damon nah. Brazig's in trouble. We're trying to rescue him. There's something fishy about the Klingons, because I said that yep. pseudo-Klingons are supposed Klingons. And... They tried to pull a fast one. That means that we closed on a flash of phaser fire. With that, I'm going to wrap up. We're going to call tonight to a close. I just want to say thank you, Glenn, for one, being a dear friend and brother of mine for so many years, putting up with me, helping me, being there for me and all that. I can't express how much that means to me. Thanks, man. Also, even being a part of Tabletop Journeys, and definitely thanks for being a part of the cast of Star Trek Preservations. This whole series it is largely based on a game that I was a player in years ago when I first started playing Last Unicorn Games. It was run by an, of a good friend of mine who passed some years ago, and this has been my send up to him in that these are the types of things that we used to talk about as for the future of his game and a lot of season one and some of what's going to happen in season two are some of the ideas that he even had for this game back when we played thank you for helping me bring this vision to, to life and sharing it with so many people i really appreciate it Hey, you're welcome, my friend. And I am looking forward to season two and where we go from here. Anybody who's just joining us or has been with us for the whole since the whole journey since season one started, we've had some great episodes, some great material, and we've had some explorations of the rules because we're learning the system. But every episode, we get better and better at it. The players learn their characters in the system more. And with as smoothly as things were running by the time we got to end of season one, I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. And a secret hint, there are a couple rule things that we didn't actually do during season one that are absolutely going to be a major part of season two. So we're going to see some more things, some neat rules. Because again, like you said, we are always learning. It's a game. It's a very expansive game. And there's a lot of good things. There's great material being written all the time. The folks at Modifius and specifically Jim Johnson and the team that he has amassed and the content creators and the amazing creatives that he's put together for this IP has been nothing short of brilliant. So I really look forward to integrating a lot of the things that they've been doing, bring more into it. We've had 10 episodes for a game that's been in place for seven years. So obviously we couldn't hit all of it. So right, right. it's going to take us a lot of seasons to get into most of it. So look forward to season two. Can't wait to get there. And I will end tonight the way I end most of our Star Trek uh, episodes. Thank you all for being here. Thanks for being part of Star Trek Preservations and uh, IDIC. Y'all. Later.